Like I said, I'm not one on uh, too much prep. I like to just get in and do these things. So. Yeah, dude. And every so often, just beware. Like, you'll yeah. hit a hot button. Oh, and it'll oh, be like oh. those toys where you pull the string. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll get going. So, hey, yeah. I, I want to hit one of those. Let's <laughs> let's find those soapboxes and uh, definitely jump up on them whenever you want to, man. All right. Um, this will be great, though. All right. Awesome. So... Welcome, everybody, to the Buyer Enablement Podcast. I'm not kidding. Today's guest is somebody that I've wanted to have on this podcast for at least two years now. Um, even before we started this podcast, I was trying to find a way to get this guy to do some content with me. And the reason for that is because both of us, totally separate parts of the United States, started thinking about solving for a very similar challenge at pretty much the exact same time. What this guest did was wrote a book. And then started a consultancy, and now it's a whole big thing. What I did was built a software. Either way, all roads kind of brought us back together. He's agreed to be on the podcast. I'm kind of pinching myself, uh, and I'm okay with it. It's going to be great. So, Todd Capone, welcome to the Buyer Enablement Podcast. Please just introduce yourself. Give us the quick elevator pitch about you, and then we're going to get right into this, man. Dude, well, first of all, you just gave me a serious case of imposter syndrome. I'm uh, I'm honored. <laughs> Uh, that is awesome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, dude, I'm a, a multi-time sales leader, but I always had this weird piece of me that, uh, you know, I don't, I've got books behind me, but what I love to do is read the actual behavioral science. I like to come to my own conclusion. And those two led me to a tipping point that made me recognize that there is an opportunity for the sales world that I felt like we were missing. So I wrote a book I thought there was a 50-50 chance the book would suck, but people seem to like it and it's turned into a business. And now I teach, I speak, and I continue to write and I read a lot of behavioral science stuff. And I'm also a nerd for sales history if you ever wanted to go down that path. Oh, wow. Nerd for sales history. We went all the way back to like Greek times in the last episode that we had actually. So, I mean, talk about nerding out, but no, no, no. But let's keep it here for right now. Now, when... Uh, anybody that's listening, the transparency sale, hopefully anyone that's listening has read this. If they have not read this, go get the book. Uh, you can get it wherever you get books um, and you can download it. And I think I saw that you can even get the audio version, right? Oh, there's a whole story there. Yeah. I narrated it myself in a Chicago studio when it was 20 below outside and the studio wouldn't turn the heater on because the guy said heaters make noise. So I yeah. would if, we, if you download the audiobook and you listen to it, just picture me being able to see my own breath. <laughs> well, maybe that's why uh, most of the authors I talk to have not made the audiobook yet, but you took that leap. So, congratulations. But when did, what was the year that the idea behind this book hit you where you decided I need to write this? What year was that? Well, I can tell you it was 2017. Um, we had done, so just by backdrop on it. Uh, it was 2017. I was the chief revenue officer of a company here in Chicago called Power Reviews. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you can guess, Power Reviews, they collect and display ratings and reviews for retailers and brands. Well, we had done a research study with Northwestern University here that looked at, all right, when a website's acting as the salesperson, what do consumers do? And it turns out, you know, we all look at reviews, no surprise there. But the two things that changed my life were, that 82% of us go to the negative reviews first. So like we skip the fives and go right to the fours, threes, twos, and ones. And then a product that has negative reviews 
right under it on its own product page on its own website will sell better than products that have nothing but five-star reviews. And I'm like, all right, that's what a website's acting as the salesperson. What happens when a human being does it in the B2B world? And I found the magic. And so I wrote a little article about it. It went crazy. And I was like, all right, I think I'm onto something. I kept trying it in the field with my team and the magic kept happening. And I was like, all right, I, I gotta get this. I gotta get this out here. What is it? How do you actually use the behavioral science for good, not evil? And you know, how do you actually execute on this in your sales organizations? And, and that's where it really kicked off. It's the old adage, when something looks too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true, right? I mean, it's just that simple. Um, and what I think is so funny and, and what I led off with is that in that same year, I was experiencing something very similar. Went down a little different road. What I was experiencing was that uh, I was in sales. I was in business development. I had been my entire career. And I had never really discovered this whole inbound marketing thing. I didn't really know too much about it. And then when I learned about it, it completely blew my mind. But not only did it blow my mind, it actually made me angry because in my role in business development, I was getting the short end of the stick, man. Everybody's coming to the website. The website's telling them this great story. The website is replacing the salespeople, right? I mean, the bots are going to destroy us one of these days if we let them. But regardless, uh, then when those people raise their hand and say, I want to meet with someone, they'd hand those leads over and we would have none of those cool digital tools. We're pulling them out of a space they're comfortable in and we are forcing them to buy the way that we want to sell. And I just thought this is absolutely ridiculous. This hit both of us at literally the exact same time. 2017 is the year I started talking to potential investors, uh, coders, people that could help me build this thing and started to get lay the groundwork to get this off the ground. It's so funny because so many things were coming together at that time in the world of marketing and sales and digital and all of that. And I'm sure we weren't the only two people talking about this. And as a matter of fact, I know we weren't, right? I've had other guests on the show as well. Um, I'm sure you know Todd Hockenberry or have at, at least heard of him. Um, he kind of went down that road with Dan Tyre at HubSpot at the same time as well, really trying to refine the sales process and everything. But when something's too good to be true, it is. And I love that. I've heard you say this so many times on other podcasts that you've been on as well and in posts that you've put on LinkedIn. Um, I've heard you tell people to lead with the faults. And I can see how someone could get this horribly wrong. And I actually got kind of a funny story for you about it, but I'm going to wait. But talk about that a little bit here. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you've probably heard me impart the wisdom of supermodel Tyra Banks at this point, too. But, you know, she coined the term flossum. And I think it's an important word. She says that, hey, we should all embrace our flaws, but know that we're still awesome. She built a whole, you know, she's a mogul. But the point being, I'm not ever telling anybody to go out into the world and go, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, this is why we suck. Like, no, that there's a reason why the average review score between a 4.2 and a 4.5 is optimal for purchase likelihood. And again, that skews a little bit different up and down based on what you're buying. Like you're buying a car seat for a baby, you're gonna want that score to be a little higher, uh, but some other things it can skew a little bit lower. Uh, the, the point being that we need to understand what our flaws are. We need to understand what are we giving up as an organization, as a product in order to be great at our core and in many cases, if there are clear delineations between what you offer and what a competitor offers, 
And there are clearly times where the solution is better under the competitor than it is for you, given the customer circumstance. You've got to lead with that. You know, that, that's how you qualify in deals faster and more firmly, but you also qualify deals out faster that you're going to lose. I mean, that's the old axiom. If you're going to lose, lose fast. And then we all know from Eminem's final rap battle in the movie Eight Mile that when you lead with your down, you know, your flaws, you lead with what the competitor can potentially rip on you about. You cut the legs out from under them anyway. And as you recall, he left the stage. The competitors had nothing. They couldn't They couldn't beat him at that point because he led. So you make it really hard on your competitors when you lead with what they can do better than you and where you concentrate and you know where your true value is. It's so great. It's so great. And I think that, um, you know, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there and, and just back me up on this or take this wherever you want to go. But when I started hearing you say this, what I started immediately reminding myself is that this is why the questions you ask in the beginning of your first conversation are so critically important because I would never want to see a sales professional get on a call with someone without any background on what they're looking for or what the potential flaws in your service or product might be based on their unique needs for you to just spill your guts, right? And just be like, oh, guess what? We don't integrate with uh, Salesforce. We don't do that, right? No, well, we don't even use Salesforce. Oh, sorry about that. Well, we don't integrate with any of the things. Oh, okay. Oh, well, then what are we even having this conversation for? I didn't even say I needed to integrate with that. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to get it out there because, you know, but that's where these early questions that you ask are so important. Important. And I and I think you're totally right. When I'm asking those questions in the early stages of the cold calls, the prospects, the first meetings, all that stuff, I'm very intentional in those questions. And I am very fast, just like you say, to uh, if, if something comes up that I know is going to be a big deal after three more hours of conversations, I want them to know right now that that's not something that we're going to be able to solve for them right now, right? And it does help a tremendous amount. Have you seen this go wrong, though? Have you seen people just be way too out there and honest right out of the get-go, just right after hearing something you say or read your book? You know, a little bit. I mean, there's there's some of that, but I, for the most part, people get it. Uh, for the most part, people are apprehensive about sharing any downfall. They <laughs> think, you know what? Um, my boss measures my pipeline and my pipeline needs to be 4X my quota or I'm gonna get in trouble. So why qualify deal out this deal out fast? Like, well, that's dumb. You know, is there an opportunity to actually qualify that deal out fast so you could go after the ones that are going to be a better fit? Um, or, you know what, I'm going to throw so much value at them that when they find out we don't do this really important thing, we're already going to have tipped the scales. And that actually doesn't work either. That's like right. you get in a relationship and then you tell the person that you're dating, yeah, I did 10 years in the, in the county pen. Like, you know, that's <laughs> if it's something important, you've got to lead with it because it builds the relationship on a foundation of trust. If you wait then your customer is like, all right, what else is he or she not telling me? And now trust is degraded. And that's a hole that's tough to dig yourself out of. Yeah. Nope. The, the trust portion is something that I'm hyper-focused on myself. The, and everybody, everybody, I think, agrees at this point that people work with people that they like and trust. It's just a simple, it's just a simple way of looking at it. When was the last time you bought from somebody 
in a competitive situation that you didn't like and trust when they were up against someone you did like and trust, right? It, at the certain point, the cost doesn't even matter. It's just, do I trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do? Do I have faith that you have the capabilities that you say you have? Are you going to actually achieve the goals that we've set forth here? Do I trust you? That's really all it comes down to at the end of the day. And enabling your buyers to, to be able to gain that trust, super important. One of the things that we did with our product as far as you know, building that trust was trying to reduce the confusion that so many buyers experience. When you look at when you first uh, started thinking about writing this book and the challenges that you were seeing, I'm sure one of the challenges you were noticing was the same one I was seeing, which was that when people can be self-informed and when they can acquire their own information, what they end up doing is just putting themselves in a position where they are just completely paralyzed in making a decision because there's so much information out there. It's information overload and every vendor starts looking exactly the same at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if you're scrolling down to the worst reviews on every vendor's review site, you're still getting getting inundated with all this information, right? Now, how do you advise people that you're speaking with when being transparent uh, and trying to uh, go against some of those other vendors or competitors that they're, that they're talking to? Do you advise them to be transparent about the flaws that their vendors have, the other vendors have as well? Now, I, here's the thing. So it, as you were saying that, I was just yeah. thinking about this idea that like, as I'm doing my 2021 planning, one of the things I'm going to be doing is creating like an online, you know, curriculum place where reps can sign up and they can take classes. Here's the problem. I've seen a teachable demo, demo, a Thinkific demo, a Podia demo, a Kajabi demo. They all look exactly the same to me at yes. this point. Like I cannot tell the difference between any of them. And their approach is exactly the same in the way they engage with me. Yeah. Now, one of my clients is in the antivirus space. Okay. Um, you know, malware prevention. You know how many companies are in that space? Lots. 56 yeah. at last count via one of the analysts. Yeah. And when you look at the websites of the 56, they all look exactly the same. Now, you can differentiate in your product features. You can differentiate in the value you deliver. You can differentiate in your pricing. I'm a, a firm believer that you can also create a fourth differentiator. And that's in the approach you take to the way you sell. And by being, instead of, hey, this is why you're great, go figure it out. Um, or, hey, this is what we don't do well, but we're awesome at this stuff. I believe in, especially in those commoditized spaces, I was in the review space and before that I was in the email marketing space, that if you take on the mantra of being like a consultant, like a, real, like a person on a reality makeover TV show, where the person that you're talking to recognizes they have a problem. Otherwise, they wouldn't have agreed to be on the show. And your role is to go, all right, why am I here? What's going on? Tell me a little bit about your issues. Oh, by the way, here's a couple of things that maybe you didn't think about. And then here's the potential path forward, part of which could be done with our competitors. Like you could actually go down that route and that would be cool. And here's the route that we're going to take you on. You become the Sherpa. You're, you know, for anybody listening to this, I'm telling you, your competitors aren't doing this. Your competitors aren't, here's, here's the line. Our role is to help the buyer predict what their experience is going to be like so they can make the right selection for their business because that's why they buy, that's why they stay, and that's why they tell their friends. Your role is to help them predict 
And if that prediction comes out that somebody else is better, that's part of your role too. You'd be shocked how often they come back to you. You'd be shocked how often they're referring other people to you, even if they go with the competitors. So that's your role in a highly commoditized space where you've got a lot of competitors. Your role is to help them predict, become the expert, not only on them, but on your competitors and just help them decide and do it fast. It's, it's a be- that's a beautiful statement right there. And I hope people pay attention to that because listen, the people that we are dealing with in a B2B space, let's just stay in a B2B space, but this is the same in a B2C space. They're not dummies. They're going to find all the information that they want. You're totally right. You are 100% right about this. When they come to you, they've already made a decision who they think they're going to go with. And fun fact, salespeople, you have about 3% of the time you used to have with your prospects. If you look at the time you had with a prospect 10 years ago versus what you have right now, it's about 3% of the time. So, you know, there's not a lot of wiggle room there, right? I mean, you really have to be on your A game, um, but they've probably already made their decision and you're totally right. They may have already decided to go down another road and you're just helping them validate that. But at the end of the day, this is why it's so important. I say this all the time. If somebody's going to go through a demo with me in my software, number one, I want them to leave feeling like they've learned something new. I don't care if they move forward with my software, but I do care if they go through an entire demo with me and they do not implement any of the strategies that we discussed on the call, because that's a huge waste of both of our time. They can implement some of the strategies that I'm teaching and and productizing within our solution without using our solution and still be light years ahead of where they were, right? That's a win for me as far as I'm concerned. I might even sway them. They might come to me and go, wow, I didn't realize that your product did all of these other things. I was actually leaning towards this solution. Now I'm actually leaning towards this, but you are hundred percent right. Every time I've ever lost a deal, if I've done the right job doing the demo and I've been an entertainer and I've been an educator and I've helped them see the lights, they start bringing me referrals because they realize it's not a garbage solution. It's just not the solution we were looking for right now. And that's totally fine. We can still move forward on that. I love that, Todd. I love that. You, I mean, it's all about, you know, the way that our brains are crafted is that when we start to hear a sales pitch, it's it's a big part of the reason why 82% of us go to the negative reviews first. Yeah. It's a big reason why this company that you may have heard of, uh, it's called Amazon, yeah. has done so well in an environment where they started listing negative reviews, like people that have bought the products, come back to complain about them, put it right under the products on their own website, on those product pages, and somehow it sells better. Is that we're wired to try to predict what our experience is going to be like. We're trying to figure out, is the juice going to be worth the squeeze? Mm-hmm. And if all we're hearing about is how great the juice is, but don't know how hard it's going to be to get, our brain can't, it doesn't even process that value properly. And so we've got to get to that quickly to understand, hey, here's the downsides. Here's what we're giving up to be great at our core. Every one of our organizations gives something up to be great at our core. That's on you. Your homework is to go out and say, all right, first of all, if I'm a buyer, what homework would I do? What sites would I look at? If you know, if, if I'm in the technology space, you better read every G2.com and Trust Radius and Captera review that's out there. Yeah. If you're not, do a search and just write in, you know, let's say it's our, our company where Microsoft or whatever, terrible example. But if I go to Google and just write, what is it like to work with, put your company name in. Yeah. and read what comes up in the first five results, 
I'll bet you one of those first couple is Glassdoor. Yeah. Now, do you think your buyers are looking at Glassdoor? Probably. Yeah. They're not just <laughs> buying your technology. They're buying you. They want to understand whether or not the people they're going to deal with hate what they do, right? So like, go do that homework. The second thing that I keep advising everybody to do, and especially in times that we're in, is that if you're in a business that's got um, upsell and renewal, after a customer upsells or renews, just go have somebody just go ask them and go, why did you renew? Yeah. All right. Like just f find out, like ask that question. And then the second question I love to ask is just, hey, what was like one non-obvious benefit that you got from the, the technology this last year? Like one thing you weren't expecting to come out of this, those two answers together become your crafting for a lot of your upside messaging. Because if customers keep renewing for the same consistent things, and then you start finding unique ways that clients are getting value, man, that's a killer. You, you lead with transparency and then lead to that. Dude, like that's that's just a killer combination. No, that's that's great. I love that. I love that. Look, there's a, a fun little story I wanted to tell you real quick. I'm gonna go off on a little tangent here. So the transparency sale. I'm the originator of this. I'm going to own it. I'm the originator of this. I did this way before you did. All right, here we go. 21 years ago, I, uh, I locked in the biggest sale of my life. She is now my wife. Here's how it went. I flirted with her in a coffee shop. It was probably the only time I actually had a good pickup line, and I won't go into details on that, but it worked. We went on a single date after that. And when we sat down in the coffee shop, I looked her in the eye and I said, listen, I'm not one of those guys that's a huge fan of the six month, let's get to know each other and then decide if this is going to keep going anywhere when you finally learn everything. So I'm going to tell you every horrible thing about me right now. And I just dumped it all on the table, right? And I scared the crap out of her, scared the crap out of her. Uh, when we left, we had scheduled a date for the next week, but she, of course, did not show up for that. Uh, I waited a month. I reached back out to her. We, we were able to fix it from there, and then we ended up getting married, and we've been together ever since. So uh, it's been great. But I wanted to bring that up because, clearly, I'm the originator in the transparency sale. I mean, sales, really, come on. Sales starts in relationships, right? I mean, listen, every, every uh, average-looking guy with an uh, out-of-college degree like me, needs to be a hell of a salesperson if he's going to land that dream girl, right? Uh, You're right. I'll tell yeah. you, as I wrote the book, um, I had an editor that really beat the crap out of me. Yeah. And I had a whole couple of paragraphs about, like, could you imagine dating sites where dating sites <laughs> had not only, like, because obviously, like, you know, I, I'm not a dating site guy, but, you know, the, it's all the things that you're great. And it's like your glamour shot. Yeah. Like, I was like, wouldn't it be cool if they just included like the top two or three things that you might not like about them yeah. and use that kind of like the negative reviews and go, you know, I can deal with that. All right. Yeah. I'm cool. And once I you've done that, the foundation is laid. And uh, the, like when that actually happens, they can't hold it against you. No, I, I think that they honestly, I think they should start doing that. And the main reason I even wanted to bring up that silly story is because I think it, at least in my head, it makes it very clear exactly what you are talking about here, right? This is exactly 
what you're talking about here. You're not talking about dating and relationships that way, but it's not that different. It's not that different. Once you understand somebody and you understand what their goals and aspirations are, whether it's an individual or a business or an individual in a business, then you need to be honest with yourself and them about where you can actually help them, where you can't, and where you can help align them with people that can get them to that place faster, right? And that is where you're going to find all the success in the world. I believe that with every ounce of my being, that by just being a better facilitator and being more helpful, you will find all the success in the world. You don't have to land every deal you walk into the room for. You don't have to. But every deal you walk into a room for, if you do the right thing and you're a good person, could turn into 10 more deals that you would have never found anyways. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, there's a, a new thing that, you know, since the book that I kind of stumbled on, and that this happened in September. Um, I, had, I was on LinkedIn and I saw this article about how... Um, you know, customer experience is everything in the future of like, you've got to create epic customer experiences uh, if you're gonna survive, right? And I was just like, all right, that's interesting. I went and I did a search and I found five articles that said exactly the same thing, right? Customer experience, it's got to be not only perfect, but it's gotta be legendary. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, then it's like 5.30, something like that. And my, my stepdaughter, it's her 16th birthday coming up and she's gonna have a little, a couple of friends over. Um, and so she's like, hey, could you go to Costco and buy some stuff to prep for the, the party? I'm like, sure. And uh, so like she wanted me to go to Costco and like get a veggie tray and a fruit tray and a couple other things. And she loves ranch dressing. So I, I'm like fresh in my mind with this customer experience thing. I get in the car, I go to Costco, I walk in and like there's the ranch dressing. And I can't just buy ranch dressing. I got to buy 80 fluid ounces. It's almost a gallon. I'm like. All right, so what I want and what they sell are two different things. I turn around, there's uh, toothbrushes. Like if I needed a toothbrush, I can't buy a toothbrush. I got to buy 10. And and so like I, I load the cart. I'm cool there, right? And then I get up to the conveyor belt. I put it on there. And there's a guy literally just taking stuff and throwing it back into my cart <laughs> after they scan it. There's no bagging or anything like that. And then I walk to the exit and there's a woman there checking my receipt to against everything in my cart to make sure I didn't steal anything. And I'm like, all right, Costco is the number four retailer in the US once again. And like that experience isn't very good. Yeah. And, you know, I get home and you know, like it so happened, I, I don't know if you remember that uh, Seinfeld episode with the soup Nazi, but <laughs> yeah. there's, you know, there's this episode where people are lined up down the street and this guy screams at them uh, about like they've got to follow his procedure for how you order the soup, how you get the bread, how you pay and you go. And it's like, and if you screw it up, no soup for you, right? And so I started to dig into it and I came to this quick conclusion that our role as salespeople, first of all, setting proper expectations and meeting them is optimal. Even if the expectations are, this isn't gonna be all great, Right. And we see it in Costco. We see it on that episode. There's a restaurant here in Chicago called the Wiener Circle mm -hmm. that if you go there after a Cubs game, you are going to get screamed at by the workers there. That's their shtick. Uh, they will make you feel terrible about yourself and people line up down the street to go. Uh, there's <laughs> Ikea is another perfect example. There's there's countless Southwest Airlines, like all of these places. What they've done is they've hit the nail on the head of we're going to set expectations and consistently now, obviously, over uh, setting expectations and missing that is bad. But the one thing that I will argue is that under promising and over delivering 
while we all like, yeah, we've got to do that all the time. You know, that actually works once. Yeah. Uh, where you get a short-term spike in satisfaction, but then it creates something I call expectation inflation, where basically under-promising and over-delivering is a form of lying. And over time, your customers will begin to recognize that. And when you set an expectation, they're going to go expectation plus inflation, and you're not going to be able to keep up with it over time. So our role as salespeople is to set proper expectations, the pros and the cons, and consistently meet them. And when we do, our customers not only buy because they can predict, but they stay and they tell their friends. I love that. And I couldn't agree anymore, honestly. And the only thing I would add to it is if you are going to be a sales professional that does a really great job of setting the table, basically, right? You need to make sure that the other customer facing roles that are going to come into the picture after you bring this deal in are doing the same thing. Like this has to be an alignment across the board because there are so many places where there can be a bad experience. And I talk about this a lot, my, my big frustration for myself when I'm buying things or for anyone that's ever bought from me in previous roles I've had is if the immediate experience after you hand over the money is a bad experience. And many times it is because there's a lot more on the line at that point. You know, you just, you just gained my trust and you just got me to give you all this money. And now this better be what you said it is. Oh, don't worry. It's going to be great. Okay. I'm handing you off to to Billy over here and Billy's going to take it from here. And then Billy comes in and just throws everything away, right? Just ruins it immediately. And that is the worst time for that to happen. All those other teams have to be aligned as well. This has to be a company structure uh, and focus that everybody's focused on because otherwise that's just where you lose deals, right? It doesn't turn into referral business because now that great experience you gave them in sales turns into actually a horrible experience you gave them in sales because now they don't trust you anymore because now, even though they did before, now they're going, yeah, but you didn't didn't deliver on any things you said because your team has to deliver on the things you say. Well, yeah. And it goes beyond like, you know, you set expectations, you lay that foundation, but you know, going back to Costco, uh, last week I walked into Costco. I just needed a few things. So you walk in, you check in. And then I looked over to the left at the lines and there was like, each line was like 15 deep. And I was like, I don't need this stuff that bad. Right. The juice isn't where, and I walk out. That's the equivalent of your selling experiences that I see in many cases where the customer comes in and they're excited. They're like, hey, this is what we need. And then they all of a sudden get a view to, hey, we're going to do a discovery call and then a qualification call or vice versa. And then I'm going to get a rep on that doesn't get any of that information. So they're going to ask you all those same questions again. And then we're going to do a really generic demo that's going to teach you how to use the technology instead of actually showing you what the experience is going to be like in your world. And then the contracts process is going to be hell on earth just to get ready for that. Yeah. That's like the long line at Costco where you're like, you know what? The reward of what I need is not worth it. I'll just pick it up at Target on the way home. So, yeah. we, I mean, there's so many analogies to you set that foundation, but you're right, man. you got to execute and you've got to create a frictionless experience in the buying journey. And then when they buy, yeah. the expectations that have been set better be delivered and better be delivered consistently. I think that it's pretty clear that uh, Todd needs to stop shopping at Costco and do more Target shopping. I think that Target sounds like it's more up your alley, smaller ranch dressing sizes. You can buy one toothbrush at a time and they have a self-checkout. Um, but you're right. Uh, and, and I think that that's in, an important thing to think about as well that, that you were getting at as well is just set the expectation. 
what is the expectation? Now, if you're selling something that is going to be a bit of a pain in the ass to sell, that's fine. Don't try to oversimplify it, but just let them know up front. Look, this is going to be a big production. You're not buying peanut butter here. You are buying an enterprise system or software or whatever it is, right? This is going to be a big deal. This is going to take a lot of decision makers. There's going to be a lot of conversations. There's going to be a lot of money. This is going to be 12 months of us having conversations. This is going to be a big deal. I'm going to make this as easy as I possibly can by doing X, Y, and Z. But just so you know, this is going to be more like shopping at Costco than it is going to be shopping online at Amazon, right? It's going to be a little more work. Yeah. Well, just imagine you go, um, you go on vacation and you're going to go take a walking tour and the tour guide's like, oh man, Josh, you're going to love this walk. Uh, <laughs> you're going to see this. You're going to see that. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, good luck. Yeah. And so you go, you do it and you find that halfway through there's 400 stairs you've got to go up to see the one thing. And then um, you got to run down a hill and then there's this muddy part like this whole, and you get back and you're just like, man, that sucked. Now <laughs> take that same experience. And let's say the guide at the beginning was just like, Josh, you are going to love this walk. Here's the things you're going to see, but just bring some water because there's a, uh, there's a stair climb that you're going to have to hit. Yeah. And then, you know, the shoes you've got on, you, you might want to walk around because there's a muddy area because it rained and the water rolls off the hill. Um, and once you're through those two things, you're going to love it. Same exact experience. Yep. However, your satisfaction on the back end after that walk in the, the, the ladder guide who actually set that expectation is, wow, that was awesome. Yeah. And the former, the person's leaving, their shoes are muddy and they're exhausted. And they're like, that sucked. Yeah. It's all about the expectation setting. Yeah, I love that. I hope that people listening to this podcast listened very strongly to that. I mean, I can't think of another metaphor we could throw in here. About oh, I got this, millions right? of them, dude. I'm Just getting started. <laughs> I'm sure you do, but I really honestly hope everybody's getting it here, right? I mean, this... This makes perfect sense to me. And I can tell you, um, just after uh, you know, checking out the book that you put together, checking out the post that you put on LinkedIn, following the content that you've put out, it has, it has uh, shaped the way that I think about this as well. And like I said, it's very interesting because we're both very much working towards a very similar end goal with this, but it's always interesting to hear how somebody else looking at it from a different angle with the same solution is going at it because we can apply so many learnings from each other in those pieces. But I just love the idea of the expectation setting. It's so solid and you're, it's worked for me in my career. So if anyone listening is thinking maybe I need to get a little bit better at you know setting those expectations early, this would be a good time to start looking at that, right? Um, and Todd's book would be a great resource to start. What are some other places that you look, Todd, when you're kind of looking for inspiration around these lines? Oh, man. Well, so, you know, I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I don't read books. Yeah. Uh, I make a commitment to myself that I read behavioral science research every day. And like, mm -hmm. I know that's crazy. Or now I'm also a sales history nerd. So I read, um, I have the whole stack of 1904's salesmanship magazines, which is <laughs> freaking amazing. And by the way, you could literally pluck paragraphs out from 1904, throw them in LinkedIn, and no one would have any idea. They were thinking and based, you know, they're focused on the same challenges that we have today and their philosophies, about 80% of them are still exactly what we teach today. And about 20% of them are completely wacky, which makes it fun to find those little things. But I, I'm inspired by the fact that, um, you know, neuroscientists and behavioral scientists, they've pinpointed for the most part, how we make this, uh, decisions, how we engage, how we prioritize, how we buy. 
And my goal in life is to look for the non-obvious places and pluck those out and then drop them into the sales world. Because, you know, to your point around, you know, the, the kind of the perception of sales, you know, Gallup every year does a study that lists the most to least trusted professions. And <laughs> at the top is always like nurses and veterinarians. Yeah. And at the bottom is uh, members of Congress, senators and salespeople every year consistently. And it drives me nuts. Drives me nuts as well, man. Every year that comes out, I go, wait a minute. My lawyers are 10 clips higher than me. This exactly. is ridiculous. It's crazy. What's going on yeah. with this? Nothing against my lawyers, but I mean, come on now. Um, but regardless. Yeah. You know, to that point, though, it means that, you know, obviously there's still a negative perception that I'm hoping that in my lifetime we're able to build up. But it also means that there's a lot of people that aren't doing this. And like we said earlier. There is an absolute op opportunity for you to differentiate in the way you sell. Remember, buyers are not buying based on your logic. Antonio Damasio, the neuroscientist, says, we are not thinking machines that feel. We are feeling machines that think. And if you're able to create that underpinning feeling and differentiate in the way you sell, you're going to draw people to you. I'm telling you, I, I joke, you know, use this stuff for good, not evil. Uh, but, you know, there is there's truth to this from the, you know, kind of the, the pages of behavioral science that I'm trying to drag into the sales world as much as I can. And and you've got every opportunity to create a real like maximize your results by just taking pieces of this and applying it. I would love to see some more of this sales history stuff that you're pulling together, honestly, because for look sales has changed so much, especially in the last six months. But for how much it's changed, you I 100% agree with you. It hasn't changed that much in 100 years. Let's be totally honest, right? It is psychology. It's understanding humans. It's empathy. Um, and that, that hasn't changed, right? The technologies um, that we use, that we employ have changed. And the way that we do reach our network and our audience has absolutely changed. But at its core, sales has not changed in any capacity. Um, what I uh, am finding right now is that um, what has changed so much about sales right now is that as sales professionals, we need to get really comfortable doing what you and I are doing right now. Um, I've never met you in real life, and I hope to one day, but I never have yet, right? This is as close as we've gotten up to this point, and this is the first time we've ever had a conversation. We just hit record, and this, we just met each other, right? So we're going to take advantage of every moment we have, but I, I like to call this the rule of nirvana, and I believe that I heard that you're a Soundgarden fan. Is that true? Sure is, brother. Yep. Okay, so so you'll get this because we're we're both children of the same musical grunge era. But I call this the rule of Nirvana because Kurt Cobain smells like Teen Spirit had this line that I love, and I think it applies to right now. And the line was, "Here we are now, entertain us, right?" And I feel like it's important for me, at least to remind myself of those lyrics every time I get on a web-based demo with a prospect. Because what you have to remember right now is that we are so fatigued. We are having way more meetings than we ever used to because we don't have the commute time in between. And so to make up for it, we're just stacking more meetings on meetings on meetings. This is like the eighth meeting I've had to do over a Zoom call today. I'm sure it's the same for you. I was talking to a woman earlier today that started her calls at 5.30 a.m. and was already on her 10th by the time I talked to her, right? We are on back-to-back back-to-back -back calls, if you can be the one person, and you alluded to this earlier as well, when you get someone on there, if you can really just 
entertain them, if you can educate them, if you can leave them feeling like they just had an experience, right? That's what they're going to remember. And that's how you're going to stand out. It is, you are the differentiator. I've had two guests on the podcast say that. Daniel Disney said it. Ethan uh, Butte has said that from Bomb Bomb. You are the differentiator. And that is 100% true. It doesn't matter what tools you're using. And that's weird for me to say because I make a sales tech tool, but whatever. The tools don't matter. You matter and you have to be the differentiator. And if somebody gives you the courtesy of actually showing up on time for a meeting that they scheduled, right? You better bring your A game, make it an experience, make it educational, make it informative. And when they walk away, make sure that they can't forget all those new things that they just learned from you. And they go tell their coworkers how awesome of a demo they just had. Yeah. Yeah. Stands out. And you, you know, to it? that point about the world of, uh, you know, selling, not changing for 120 years because of technology. Yeah. I, I've got to tell your listeners this quick rant. So if you'll allow me to pull the string, <laughs> I, I'm going to unload oh, for a second. Oh, oh boy, everybody brace yourself. Here comes All the right, rant. So nope, let's do it. Go. So if you look 100 plus years ago, selling required us to be face to face, right? Like there was just no one, you could send something in the mail, but that's not selling. Like selling required a face to face conversation. All of a sudden, we were given this great tool. Sales was given the incredible gift of the telephone that allowed me to pick up the phone without leaving. I don't even have to put shoes on and I can have a conversation with you. And guess what? Salespeople ruined it. Salespeople ruined it by getting blinded by this idea of scale and saying, all right, how can I jam as many calls as possible? How can I do robocalls? How can I get aggressive when I get people on the phone? to the point where technologies had to be created to prevent salespeople from selling, which are things like Dr. Shirley Jackson's invention that led to caller ID. And it got so bad that the government had to create a do not call registry to prevent salespeople from selling. We then go fast forward to this incredible tool and gift in the form of email. Email, I can send you a message, hit send, and it shows up in your mailbox instantly. Holy crap. What an incredible tool for salespeople. And guess what we did? Ruined it again by getting blinded by the ideas of scale and saying, how many can I jam in that make it so painful to the inbox that everything else gets lost to the point where technologies had to be created to prevent it in the form of junk email boxes and IP blacklists. And then the government had to get involved again because that didn't work and they had to create the Can Spam Act of 2003. Fast forward a few more years, we're given LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the opportunity to hyper-target, to not only see our person that we're looking for and their title and their company and their location and their picture and their whole resume. And like, what an incredible gift we've been given. And if you look at my connection request right now, guess what salespeople did? Ruined it. <laughs> now, I see us about to ruin video too. Video is this incredible opportunity for us to connect with people, to provide context to the words without leaving our house, send it in little digital packets that I can record a three minute video, send it to you. It shows up instantly, you can stream it. And now you feel like you know me. And I see sales reps ruining that right now too. Yeah. It all goes back to the fundamentals, right? Yeah. Of building relationships. And it's always quality over quantity. Don't get blinded by the, the grandiose visions of scale because scale is what ruins all of these things. And it's not too late for video. Um, it's too late for some of the other things to a certain extent. I don't. I know a number of executives and myself in my last role, I, I didn't answer 
for cold calls anymore because I just couldn't. I couldn't guide my day by interruptions. I could if they were all valuable, but yeah. you know, when 99% of them aren't valuable, I just I couldn't roll the dice like that. There was just not enough time. So that's my like the string has entered the back of my toy again here. My rant is over. But uh, again, like sales at its core has not changed. The technology has, but for the most part, we get blinded by the the like the grandiose visions of scale when we just need to get back to the fundamentals of what a great gift these things are and how do we use it to its maximum potential. Right, right. I mean, when the first trench coat was developed and the uh, watch salesman on the corner was able to cram 100 watches <laughs> under the trench coat, right? That was kind of the beginning of uh, all of that spam, right? I guess that's a good point. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's a yeah. weird scale. Yeah, but look, you're totally right. And I agree with you too. And I agree with you so much so that uh, you might find this funny. Even though I've built a sales tech software, we don't have any automations built into it because I can't stand that kind of sloppy selling. My process has always been work smarter, not harder. Go after five to 10 hyper-qualified targets every single day. Stay on that, right? As long as you know you're bringing value to them, it's okay to continue going after them. But you are totally right. And, and anyone listening to this, any salespeople listening to this right now, please pay attention to, to what we're saying here. Let's not ruin another thing. I love video. I love video, right? I don't want that to get ruined. Let's use it for the good that there is in it. And I know that we're all going to get a little bit fatigued with video just because like we're seeing everyone on video right now. But, you know, the whole one-to-one -one video thing, it is very, very powerful if it's done properly. But like anything, if you're just blasting a whole bunch of people with no context and no real reason to go after them, it's just an annoyance. And before you know it, they're going to start associating every video-based email that comes into their inbox as an annoyance because that's a very visual indicator right there, right? They don't even have to scan it for the keywords that Todd talks about in his posts all the time where, you know, you're looking for the just asking, just checking in, just following up. Like, no, you're asking me for things here. Stop asking me for things. You're trying to sell me. They're going to see that visual come through and go, Ah, oh, crap. It's another sales video. They're trying to spam me here again. Let's not ruin this. Again, we don't need the government stepping in and mandating how we can record videos and send videos to people. We really don't. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to be around when that day comes. I'm getting out of sales. I'm going back into marketing when that happens, right? I'm just doing that when that happens. Todd, this has been really, really great having you on. We are officially like way over time on this one, but that's fine. Don't worry about it. We might have to do a two-parter. I don't, I don't care. But look, this was really great having you on. My expectation moving forward is uh, that you're going to be a part of more content that we produce at some point. So we're, we want to do a webinar down the road. We want to bring back some of the guests, and I would love to have you as part of that if you'd be willing, number one. But anyone listening, um, where should, they, where should be, they be connecting with you? How would you, if they have questions specifically for you, how would you like them to reach out? Let's go through all the things quick. Yeah, I'm mean, really hard not to find uh, to an annoying level. Uh, just the Google, the Google machine pops me up pretty quick. But I would love to answer questions that people have. So LinkedIn is the best place to do that. But please, if you're going to connect, let me know that you heard me here. Uh, and I will absolutely accept that. And then my website, transparencysale.com, is where I share a lot of my nonsense uh, if you want to follow along there. Great. So if you reach oh, out to him on LinkedIn, make sure you, you say you heard him on the best podcast there is all of all time and one other thing yeah. Yeah. if you're a nerd for the sales history i yeah. um you can follow on twitter or instagram at sales historian 
I post uh, daily quotes from the uh, annals of sales history uh, with a little picture because I'm deep into all of that. I just do it for fun. And if you want to follow along, you're going to find some really like brilliant stuff. But then every so often I throw in the wackiest things that you're ever going to hear. And so follow along at sales historian on either Instagram or Twitter. I'm, I'm going to follow you on Instagram right after this call. This sounds great. I was, I was hoping that you were already categorizing some of this stuff somewhere for me to see. Yeah, I'm going to totally nerd out on this. I can't wait. Seriously, Todd, thank you so much for being uh, on the show. I'm not joking when, like, I, I mean it. When I started building this business and when I learned that you were writing this book under this title and I started checking it out, I went, all right, well, someday I need to do something with this guy. Like, this is just stupid. Um, so this really has been an honor of mine. And I really appreciate you setting aside some time and being a part of the Byron Enablement podcast. I hope people do reach out to you um, because I can. I know that you're you're genuine in, in wanting to answer those questions and wanting to have those questions. I know you'll get back to people on those. So if anyone has questions for Todd, send him his way. He'll take care of you. He's all over the place. You really can't not find him. It would be an impossibility. Um, thanks again, everyone, for tuning into the Byron Implement Podcast. We'll be back in a couple weeks as always. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that your holidays, this episode is going to be released after the holidays. So I hope your holidays were absolutely incredible. I'm wearing my holiday shirt because we're recording this right before Christmas here for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I hope your holidays were great. I hope you got everything you wanted. And I hope your customers are finally ready to sign on the dotted line. Can we just get through this December already, Todd? Like what's going on here, huh? Right. Let's just get through December and let's get to that January where they're all promising we're going to move forward in January, right? Well, well, we'll find out. Anyway, thanks again. Have a great day. Thanks again for tuning into the Buyer Enablement Podcast. We are, as always, honored to have you listening in. If this is the first time you've had a chance to check out one of our episodes, make sure to check out some of the previous episodes as well. And if you're a frequent listener, we'll be back in just a couple weeks with yet another new episode for you. If you have not yet left a review, uh, please do leave a review for us and help other people discover the podcast and have a great rest of your day. Bye.